jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. And now, cover girl. This is Under the Covers with Claire Connors on jasoncharles.net. Welcome to Under the Covers with Claire Connors. That's me. A monthly podcast about the magazine industry and the making of those glossy covers we all know and love. Today we're talking to Trent Straub, currently deputy editor of Paz Magazine, a wonderful national magazine for the HIV community. And for nearly a decade, he served up muscled Chelsea boys, sickening drag queens, and superstar celebrities for HX Magazine, a weekly guide to all things gay in Gotham. I loved this magazine, by the way. I I remember seeing it for the first time. This is such a thrill for me to be talking to you, Trent, by the way. So he, Eve Harrington, his way up the masthead at HX, working from freelance copy editor to production manager to features writer to editor-in-chief, a position that he held for about five years from 2000 to 2005. He then moved to HX's sister publication, an LGBT newspaper, The New York Blade, while still pitching in for the occasional Madonna feature for HX. I'm always up for the Madonna feature. Who isn't? Oh, my God. It's still still so hot. Uh, Trent and I will be dishing the dirt today on some of his favorite celebrity cover boys and girls, their wacky publicists, and the process of booking a cover for a queer publication, from the first phone call to the final martini shot at the cover shoot. He'll also share with us his magazine covers, the ones that he loved and stood the test of time, and the ones he'd rather forget. Welcome, Trent. Glad to be here. Thank so you. happy to have you here. I'm really thrilled to talk to you. Um, your career is so interesting, especially in these times. The fact that you still work for a magazine to me is, you know, a miracle. I'm to be one honest. of the last men standing for real. You really are. It's so true. But I'd love to start these conversations finding out a little bit more about um, who you are and where you came from. And I know that you graduated from one of the best journalism schools in the United States. That's right. Uh, The University of Missouri, Columbia, Mm -hmm. uh, Missouri School of Journalism. I graduated in 92. I specialized in, uh, actually, in magazine editing. Oh, that's right. And I came to New York in 94. Okay. But um, before you move forward, I have to tell you, when I was listening to your previous podcast and when you reached out to me, shortly thereafter, I I won't say I had a nightmare, but um, I I had this dream and I was on in in an editor's office and I was on deadline. And I got an email from a writer who was supposed to turn the story in that day, and I was looking at it, and it was a huge mess. And I was thinking, oh, no, it's going to take so much work to fix this. And then as I'm getting ready to do that, the art director barges in and says, oh, the model doesn't want to wear the clothes that we had chosen for them, and they don't want to be at the shoot location. And I can't say I woke up, like, screaming and covered in sweat, but it really brought me back to the reality of what it was like dealing with a weekly magazine and trying to do celebrities and all of that. Um, 
well, it was a lot. It was a lot of stress. It's. I'm sure it was a lot. Of, well, it's funny because I'm actually in the middle of a situation like that where I just booked a cover and the cover girl doesn't want to wear the clothes that we have <laughs> oh, no. set aside for her. I won't mention names, but um, it will work out. Everything is going to be fine. But it does. That those nightmares are still true. <laughs> they have <laughs> not, not for me gone anymore. Away. Thank God. You're so you're so lucky. Um, do you remember your first introduction to magazines? Like, did were they in your house did your mom and dad buy question i grew up in a rural missouri farming community um so the magazines we had were more like missouri conservationists maybe better homes and gardens i was not at a young age really drawn to magazines i would say actually later my entry was through music and culture so mainstream stuff like rolling stone then spin and interview the old details magazine. You were a little alternative guy, right? Yeah, I yeah. kind of was an alternative guy. And that's why I think a lot of the mainstream stuff like GQ and stuff didn't draw me in as a young at a young age. Mm-hmm. I would say the one of the most influential magazines, oddly enough, would have been HX. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I remember distinctly going to New York the very first time. I had just graduated, shortly after I graduated from college with a bunch of journalism school friends. We were visiting a friend, Tom Myers and Greg Young, who lived here in New York. The Bowery uh, Boys. The Bowery Boys today, <laughs> as, as you all know them in the podcast world. And I remember it was April 1994 because it was the week that Kurt Cobain killed himself. Oh. We were all passed out from clubbing and someone ran in the room and said, Kurt Cobain's dead. And uh, That must have been a shock. <laughs> it was a shock. Yeah. What was a bigger shock was going down to Greenwich Village later, at, like in the next day or two, and they already were selling T-shirts about it. No kidding. And I thought, oh, my God, New York, it really is fast. It really is. That's but so I, I picked up an HX magazine, which, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's kind of like a timeout New York. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a listings guide, where to go, what to do. It comes out every week. The one I picked up was basically a newsprint and saddle stitch, black and white. And I took it back to Missouri, and it was like this magical talisman roadmap beckoning me to move to New York because what I saw in those pages seemed like this is the world you could have if you leave Missouri and move to New York. And it was. I never dreamed I would be working there that one day. That's So were you out at that point when you had... had I was out with my, to my friends, okay. and I was out at the newspaper I was working at, but it was a t- kind of like a, what was the Clinton thing? Don't ask, don't tell exactly. <laughs> with, yeah. with my family Got at it. that time. And how did you make your entryway into into HX? Well, you said you were working at a newspaper in in Missouri. I worked at a newspaper in Missouri, and Columbia, Missouri is still one of the few towns, maybe in the whole United States, where there are two competing daily newspapers still. Afternoon and morning? Yeah, morning and afternoon, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And that's because one of the papers is put on by the journalism school, and the other one is a, a regular paper. I worked at the regular paper. It was a paying job. And... When I moved to New York, my first job was actually at, this is an interesting magazine, Leaders Magazine. Leaders. <laughs> Leaders Magazine, all capitalized. And it's an exclusive high-end magazine, uh, and it goes to the 35,000 leaders of the world. You have to apply to get uh, a subscription to it. That's unheard of. It's like CEOs and sultans. And it, it was a very high-pressure high-end and. For many, many ways, it was just a horrible fit for me. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the yeah. kind of thing. It doesn't sound like something you'd be passionate about. No, it was a job. that I had just moved to New York, and I didn't have a lot of money. Mm. I kind of did the Madonna route where Peter and I got off the plane and had, you know, 
few hundred dollars, maybe I had two thousand dollars, and a friend's place to crash. So that was a job. It gave me entry into going out and discovering New York. I read in your, you know, in your resume that you worked at the Village Voice at some point. Was that one of your earlier no, it was jobs later, as well? A later freelance okay. gig. Yeah. All right. Writing. So let's hear what happened when you moved to New York. What happened? <laughs> Well, as I was working there, uh, my friend Peter actually went to, we went to journalism school together. He's a great art director. Mm -hmm. He went on an interview. Uh, HX was looking for an art director. And he went to the interview. This is right after we'd moved here. And he came back from the interview, and I remember him saying, I really got along with the publisher. Uh I think we really hit it off. I said, well, what what do you mean you hit it off? Long story short, he got the job, and they started dating, and they were an item for many, many, many years. Yes, they were. And then because of Pete's connection to a lot of journalism students from Missouri, he brought a lot of us on board. And we just kind of built the magazine from being when – I, when it first came out, like in 1991, it was basically like a, a menu, literally like folded piece of paper. And then over time, it grew and grew, and then – when I started working there and Peter was working there, it became more like what we consider a real, quote-unquote, real magazine with a front and book section, with a feature well, and all the rest. Who was the editor when you first started there? It might have been Tim Murphy, who is a, a well-known writer in the gay and HIV community. Mm-hmm. He's now a published author. I oh, think well. he was the, the editor. And you said that you, um, Eve Harrington, your way up the masthead, which I thought was hilarious. It, didn't we all have to do that, though? Yeah. I mean, that really is the way that you made it in publishing back in those days. Yeah. You earned your way up. Yeah, you did. You really did. And it was it was very beneficial. I, I worked my way into a lot of magazines by being the copy editor, and I thought the copy editor was a great entry way mm-hmm. because you worked with all the different departments and you got to know all the editors and you kind of knew a little bit of everybody. So you had a good idea of like, I like this department. I don't want to work in that department, et cetera, et cetera. Funny, copy editing would be the one I'd say, I don't want to work in that department. (laughs) I don't know if I'd want to do that today. I I was much more detail oriented then. Mm -hmm. It's hard to go back to that. I can understand. All right. So you're at HX. Um, You are watching it grow. Tell me a little bit about what it was like being a part of that community at that time. It was, it, it, I mean, it just sounds like a really heady time and uh, devastating yeah. and wonderful at the same time. Great question. Great question. Yeah. In retrospect, I mean, you don't really know what's, I don't know, historical about the moment when you're in the moment. True. Looking back now, I would say, you know, my tenure at HX really dovetails with a lot of ground changing history of of HIV stuff yeah. or I mean uh, well HIV and gay stuff the magazine I work at now is an HIV magazine so I sometimes switch the, right. the two um, <laughs> I would say for example that just to give you some perspective HX started in 1991 okay the first episode of Will and Grace was 1998 no kidding and the first episode of Queers Folk which was a pretty groundbreaking show as well that was 2000 um, I think Matthew Shepard happened in 1998 oh. It wasn't until 2004 that Massachusetts became the first state in the United States to legalize same-sex uh, unions. That was 2003. Uh, there was a huge backlash of that because also that year, the Supreme Court, for the first time, said that same-sex sodomy was not illegal. So until 2003, it was illegal to have gay sex, basically. Was that an, um, um, a federal law or was that a state-by-state? State? 
Um, well, it was a Supreme Court knocking down a state law. Okay. There's a Texas law. Mm-hmm. But so I, I, I don't know. It could be state by state whether they're going to choose to uphold those laws or not. But right. then it was knocked down. Okay. I remember being in the gay pride float in 2003 and the ruling came down the week of gay pride. So everyone was like, we can finally have sex. Yay. <laughs> 2003. So that takes away some of the mystery, though, yeah. doesn't it? When the law isn't breathing down your neck. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's a lot safer. And then also going on throughout this time is the specter of HIV. Mm-hmm what we call modern-day combination antiretrovirals didn't come out until 1996. So until then, it was pretty much a very scary possible death sentence, most likely a death sentence. So that's a lot of change to go through. Yeah, no kidding. And then in journalism aspect, there's also the the idea of things becoming digital and going to computers and then social media. So all of that really changes the, the playing field for getting celebrities and getting scoops and... Mm-hmm. all of that stuff. But back in the day when I first started, being gay and being at a gay magazine was pretty edgy and pretty controversial. So if you're calling up a publicist saying, hey, give me you know an hour with your, your top celebrity, we're a gay magazine, and you know, it's, you're going to get a hard pass most of the time. Do you remember, you don't have to be specific, although I think I remember um, Pete and Matthew telling me about trying to get Leonardo DiCaprio or somebody very well-known straight person mm-hmm. to 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 be on the cover and basically being hung up on. Were you, did you ever experience that kind of response? I did. And were you the one making the phone calls sometimes? Um, once I became editor-in-chief, oh. yeah. Okay. Uh, so luckily, once I became editor-in-chief in 2000, the the playing field had already changed a lot. And okay. we had, like two years earlier, we had I, what I would say our first really big celebrity coup, and that was Madonna for Ray of Light. Oh, my God. It was a huge deal. I love the cover, by the way. It's such a beautiful shot. How did you guys get that photo? The way we get a lot of our celebrity covers at that time was through the publicist. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't, I mean, very rarely would we be granted the time to do an actual photo shoot. Yeah. That would be unheard of. So they would give us that. In that instance, it was some outtakes from the album cover artwork. So Mario Testino, I Mm -hmm. believe it was, who did that. And they were images that no one had seen before, but they knew it was from that series with her, with the gorgeous, like Prada, silvery, translucent kind of thing and the long curls. Mm. Yeah, it was great. And then HX being a nightlife magazine, we also had a lot of connection to, say, Victor Calderon, who was doing a lot of her remixing and producing. She did a mini surprise concert at Roxy, so we had access to quotes and stories about that. So so that interview was, you, you had a lot of different aspects to add to it. Did you get an actual interview with the lady We did herself? not have an interview for that okay. issue. We did interview her later as part of roundtables and then get some extra questions. Sometimes we could get specific additional quotes like we could ask a few extra questions that mm-hmm. would be specific to us the name of the game for me once I was the editor kind of became how do you build a really great feature story without quotes a lot of I mean, well we had without, quotes but right. without like sitting down with someone for 30 minutes right although we did get that eventually too yeah it's very helpful when you have somebody that's on the press line that can throw out a couple of questions even those are yeah. valuable quotes in terms of a story yeah, we got a lot of a lot of celebrities because they were in films or because they did Broadway stunts. Right. And then, you know, the, the way it works a lot of times is there would be a celebrity roundtable with a lot of press. 
And then some people could go get an additional like 15 minutes one-on-one later. And that's how we got a lot of stuff that way. That's amazing. So Madonna was sort of your big first... Precursor for the magazine, yeah. Oh my goodness. I would say, yeah. But you have another one to talk about that's even like, this was really... My, my first get as the editor-in-chief, I would say, and I consider it a big get because there was a lot of competition to get this interview, yeah. um, was 2002 when Kylie Minogue's Can't Get You Out of My Head came out. Oh. She released the album Stateside. I'd been a huge fan of the album. It was in Europe earlier, and I knew it was going to be huge, so we really wanted to get that interview, and I was on the publicist for months before the album came out, and they finally agreed to do it and then we did get an interview exclusive with her but we didn't have artwork so we had to find artwork and we mm-hmm. happened to score some really great work and it just came together perfectly let's talk about pickup art or yeah existing art as it's mm-hmm. called there's a you know when you are trying to book a cover getting the photo shoot that is you know the sort of the gauntlet you really not gauntlet but yeah. the you know you really want to get the holy grail the holy you, grail yeah. thank right. you you really want to get the shoot mm-hmm. the interview back in the day if it were for Vanity Fair, you'd get three days with a celebrity yeah. to like hang out in a park and talk about things. But this was, you know, you guys were doing basically guerrilla um, shoots and and interviews. Everything had to be very, very tight. Yes, absolutely. And thank God for our talented art directors uh-huh. because we had a great art department and they could take um, existing mm-hmm. artwork. Like Sometimes the artwork was really great, like... Um, the Kylie Minogue thing or the Madonna thing, uh, the Madonna image. Sometimes it's not so good. A lot of times it's like maybe a still from a video they're shooting and they're like, well, we'll throw you a few of these bones. The video's not out. No one will know. They're kind of grainy. The person's not really looking at the camera. It doesn't look like a cover photo. So how can you make it look like a cover photo? Well, you know, you can clean up the background. You can sharpen it. You package it in a way with clever headlines and make it look good and you guys were sort of the kings or queens yeah, of doing right. that yeah. for with hs like you, i look at your covers they're beautiful there are some really nice covers and we by the way great ones, yeah. everybody this is going to be on instagram at under the covers with claire please check it out we're going to have all of these amazing hx and some pause covers mm-hmm. on there absolutely and we want to show you what we're talking about it's really a fun trip down memory lane to be looking at these covers so fun um, by the way, what I loved about HX was that, yeah, yes, you had the, the cute Chelsea boys in, you know, without shirts on in their underwear. Right, Hilarious. Right. We fun. love the muscle boys. We love the muscle boys. But you put really important women on your covers. Yeah. And it was such an embracing thing. And showing these women, these leaders in pop culture and yeah. um, that they supported the community and, and really felt strongly about it. I just love that about that magazine. Yeah, it's kind of a cliche now, like gays and their divas It's that people make jokes about, but there really is something to that. Absolutely. And I think that's how we got a lot of these celebrities because they just... They I, understand. I, I, yeah, I was never into just celebrities for the sake of celebrities. Like we were at heart a New York gay magazine, mm-hmm. entertainment, and... I like to find stories where there was a organic fit, um, aside from just being a diva, but like people who had a connection, like Madonna clearly like had the New York connection for a long time before she became famous. And also just the support in the community yeah. and yeah. And we looked at I always looked at HX as being like a champion of the gay scene. I wanted to give our our celebrities, quote unquote and celebrities, the the DJs, the producers, the drag queens 
I wanted to give them the treatment that they would get if they were a big celebrity and we were Vanity Fair. I love packaging of magazines, how stories come together and the mm-hmm. art direction of them. I love flipping through that. So I loved putting that together for people in our community. Having said that, though, um, <laughs> when you do get a big name celebrity, it is a whole different ball game, and literally the nation and the world takes note, and you realize the power of celebrity. I'm on pins and needles. Who, <laughs> so who I was am it? talking about the year is 2003, December 2003. The Grammys are about to happen, and a certain artist who had left her girl group had her solo album out and she was up for a lot of awards guess who i'm talking about gee who could it be she's crazy in love (laughs) yeah beyonce um and this was at her big pinnacle she just had her solo album she was everywhere that's when you really want to get a celebrity and we had had requested for probably two or three years because there was destiny's child before before Beyonce was Beyonce. Right. And so we had, um, our music editor was Gregory T. Angelo, and he is phenomenal and a great writer and very professional. So he really picked up the slide. We covered music every single issue. That was a huge thing that we covered. Absolutely. We had a there's... DJ column. There's just so much. So right. he was on the home all the time trying to get get her and get a bunch of people. So um, it was no, 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 no. But then what happened is in London one of the tabloids started writing a story that uh, Beyonce was homophobic. Oh. And this was, I guess, right after the MTV Awards were in Britney and Madonna had kissed, if you remember that quote-unquote scandal. That? <laughs> and apparently they said, Beyonce said something snide about it, and God wouldn't let her, God lets her be a stripper, but she would never kiss another woman or something like, something like that. And who knows? I mean, London's infamous for being a little loose with the truth in their journalism, let's no say. So suddenly we get a call from Beyonce's publicist or her team saying, hey, um, if we gave you an exclusive, could you do a cover like tomorrow or, you know, the next issue? And we're like, yeah, we can. So that's how that happened. They, I figured it was just going to be damage control and that it would be a very controlled interview and she wouldn't be that talkative. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do the interview. Gregory did the, did the interview. And it just turned to be a fantastic interview. It was actually a news-breaking interview. She no talked about her uh, beloved uncle that had helped raise her. He died of AIDS. She talked about oh. um, watching drag queen performers on YouTube. She our, learned our a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she had gave hints to drag queens who lip-sync as her and perform as her. So she was very game, and she knew what was going on, and she was very charming, and the story just turned out great. The supplied art was beautiful it just looked so great and i I love we have that in addition to our name on the cover we have get this like worldwide exclusive her first gay press interview ever so it's it's just phenomenal i'm so proud of you guys that you got this and you know and and this is one of those cases in terms of booking covers that persistence really can pay off and if you're trying for somebody it might not work this year it might not work next year but eventually you're on the list you know publicists often have like a list of a b c and d in terms of where they're going to be putting their clients and um, and be often, polite and professional. You, exactly. A lot of times it's not personal when people give you a no. 
know. Right. It's you know. true. No, you can't stomp your feet and cry. Yeah. I will tell you my quick Beyonce story. Um, when I was working at Shape, we had to do Beyonce. Not had to do Beyonce. Obviously, I wanted to do Beyonce. <laughs> right. This, I'm not crazy. But it was truly one of the most controlled covers that I've ever worked under at the time and I'm pretty sure she's still doing it Beyonce was videotaping literally every minute of her life apparently she has a room in their mansion that is just filled with the videos that of her I know it doesn't sound like much fun to me but this is going to be a project at some point we know that but I booked the cover we had a very short amount of time with her but I literally had 30 minutes like three zero to sit and talk and try and get as much information out of her as possible she was talkative a very very nice young woman but I was videotaped the entire time so when you you know when you're writing a story you have to be really specific because they literally have everything on tape for what she said there was no messing around with quotes on that one yeah not that we do that ever. Never. <laughs> no, I don't. But anyway, that cover sold pretty well, but it certainly wasn't, you know, groundbreaking. It was it was fine. Yeah, speaking of selling, since our magazine was free, yeah. in case you're curious, I think we printed usually around thirty five thousand to seventy thousand. That's a lot. A week. It would a depend week. like Yeah, it came out every Friday. And it would just depend there was an ebb and flow, like uh the whole month of June would be a huge production. Uh, end of the year was pretty big. There was a, a big circuit party in March called the Black Party. That was pretty big. Holidays were pretty big. So, you know. It had its moments when it was just very, very but when popular. the internet came out and became a bigger thing, people started to know outside of New York what we had on the cover. And we started to get emails and letters saying, please send us this magazine. We want that. Like, like collecting Beyonce cover, et cetera. Um, I know I want to talk about the Britney Spears cover because it's a really, it's a great cover. Uh, And this is an example of you taking existing art. And, you know, to go back a little bit on the existing art thing, the way that works is that a publicist gives you a piece of art, usually. Mm. If you can't get a piece of art from the publicist, you have to look it up. And it's like finding a needle in a haystack that art is not owned or yeah. controlled or you buy it from something like iStock but then there are all these parameters like mm. it can't be on a cover or it can Got be it. on a cover but only in this region because it's already been sold in another place it's right. and and there but it becomes pricey also and if you're on a budget you might not be able to do that so with britney we're this and guys yeah. you really have to look <laughs> at this one on, on yeah Instagram. look at this one online because i can't believe we got away with this this was um in the zone when that came out, toxic was everywhere. Oh. That's probably two thousand three or four. Also, okay. right? all this happened right around you the same time. Yeah, this, that was that was my zone. I was in the zone. <laughs> we had an interview with her uh, through a, a Larry Flick, who's a really great music writer, and he had a column in our magazine off and on. But we got supplied artwork, so everyone had seen this artwork. We had to think of how to make it look unique to us, mm-hmm. and you'll recognize the image when you look at it online. It's her and her short crop it's a crop shirt you can see her stomach and her hands kind of on her jeans and it's pushed down but we just kind of photoshopped her jeans down an extra Hmm. two inches and then we art directed it so there's like type and a a, almost like a she's standing in front of a behind a board or something Mm -hmm. but it makes it look like she she's totally nude like it's she's just like one step away from being totally exposed saucy it's pretty it (laughs) (laughs) I look at that now like, wow, that's 
kind of crazy. Okay, so at the time, it made sense. And at the time, it was sexy and hot and all of that. As you've gotten older, do you look back on any of your covers and think, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have gone <laughs> quite that far? Or are you very happy with, with everything? Um, no, I'm pretty happy with everything. I think you should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, ra- the racy stuff, I think that was part of the fun. And I was younger then. And it's was we wanted to celebrate being sexy and racy and irreverent and fun and that's what that was. So we're going to speed up a little bit because I want to get to pause. I think it's oh, a yeah. beautiful yes, yes. magazine. It's really an important magazine. Everyone should be picking up a copy of this every month. Is it monthly? Uh, yeah. Okay. It is. Which is, again, unusual. Yeah. It's a magazine that actually comes out 12 times a year. Doesn't oh, actually, happen. We have, very- two, uh, we have two uh Double issues. Double issues. Okay, yeah. so ten issues. We have a few issues right. that are double issues. But tell us a little bit about how you got into pause, and then I want to I want to sort of wrap up by finding talking about the highlights and lowlights of some of oh, your work. Good. No lights. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, after HX and the Blade kind of tanked post two thousand eight, I was freelancing and kind of broke. And one of the freelance gigs that I had was at Pause. I was copy editing, and then a full time job came on, and I've been there since. Since then, it's almost been a decade. Wow. And it's for the HIV community. It's national. It was started in 1994. It has a really fascinating history. I'm really proud to be part of it. Mm. Kind of like at HX, I feel like our we don't do big-name celebrities there because we actually do have people who are HIV positive on the cover like 99% of the time. And we kind of want to champion our own celebrities uh, who are advocates, who are people who have gone through discrimination, stigma, addiction, and come out and are now inspiring and thriving. And it really is inspiring and thriving. I really do enjoy that that work, and I do enjoy shining a spotlight on these people and telling their stories and getting their stories out there as well. I'd say one of the biggest stories I did there in terms of celebrities, if you want to hear that really quick, time. in 2016, I saw a preview of a documentary that was coming out called uh, Strike a Pose. It was about Madonna's backup dancers from the Truth or Dare era. They oh, were in amazing. the Vogue video, yeah. which was a huge pivotal thing when I was in my early 20s. It was kind of like a gay iconic thing. And the guys were super hot, I thought, at the time. Um, but the documentary um, showed that three of them during the tour were HIV positive. No one told anybody. They were all closeted about it. There was no medicine then. One of them died afterward. And the two of the two of the other ones were still around. So I was like, we have to, I have to interview these guys. I got in touch with the the publicist for the documentary. It wasn't this was not a hard get to get, <laughs> and it turned out that they were coming to New York for the film's debut at the Tribeca Film Festival. So we did a photo shoot with them at um, a dance studio, and the photographer happened to be a former dancer, so he was really good at mm-hmm. capturing motion. And it was just a super fun event and it was a great story too to to tell their stories because they're both doing really well now as well no and it's and it it's it has a nostalgia factor but it also has you know the the history that yeah is is it's it's so important they you helped know? a lot of i mean in the documentary they helped a lot of people come out and That's then it amazing. was just really sad that they had to be quiet about their status and all the bad things that happened to them but that they made it through um, in terms of, so you mentioned, we, we did brush over it. So HX and The Blade closed. Yeah. What? How many magazines have you worked for that have closed? You you've, you have literally felt the effect of, you know, the downfall of print. I would say print. Half, half of them have. Half of them, okay. Yeah. Including The Village Voice. Including The Village Voice, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love to get a little advice from people that are in the business, still thriving in the business, which 
bless you for that. Yeah. Young up and coming gay writer from the Midwest is moving to New York. What 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 would you tell yeah. that person? Well, we get interns at Pause who are really talented awesome. college students who are into kind of a doing social work mm-hmm. and I, I I'm telling them they've all been all the ones we had are very talented journalists I say you really need to learn to do a little bit of everything mm-hmm. you need to know social media a little bit of HTML right you have to know how to take a good photo you have to know how to edit your own story uh, how to write headlines that are going to be uh, getting clicks how to market it yourself on social media they're just so you have to do everything you have to be like a whole publishing empire of in one own. person yeah Do you, does pause have um an online oh yeah digital? absolutely okay. we, most of the stuff is digital we okay. do we have new content every single day on the website oh that's fantastic how many yeah. stories are you guys posting a day three, um, to, three to five two to five two to five and okay. then the, the print content also goes on too did you transition okay into digital did that take you a while to get get into figuring out how to do it or did it happen automatically because you were already on a computer and it kind of because i i most of my background was my initial background was with writing so it worked out well it was just kind of learning how to you don't do as much long-form journalism anymore you really have to be short and pithy but because i have newspaper background and i think being sassy at hx (laughs) made everything like okay i can already talk really i can I talk fast, I can write fast. You can get get in and get out in 200 words. It was boots on the ground for you guys. You really were out there doing everything. And it was a weekly. So to me, that's just mind-blowing. It was crazy. Um, I want to ask you a final looking back. And, you know, what was your proudest moment in terms of the work that you're doing? And and you can include Hmm. pause now, but... Oh, yeah, I would... Pause and HX, I would say, are very similar in that I've taken a lot of satisfaction in giving to the communities in my own way. Right. You know, I've contributed to the gay community of New York and to the HIV community something something of myself, like using my skills to better the community and lift the community up and make the community laugh or educate the community or turn them on or whatever, you know. Well, God bless you, Trent. I'm <laughs> really you. very, very honored that you were here to talk today. I love the, the magazines. I love the culture. You all were just doing such a good job right. at really an important time in terms of the, the gay community. I'm so happy and honored to know you, and thank you for coming here. So, Trent, where can people find your information, you know, the PAWS um, address, oh, You definitely want that. to go to PAWS, and it's PAWS, P-O-Z. Thank you. Um, not P-A-W-S or anything. P-O-Z at P-O-Z dot com. Okay. You can find us there. It's that easy. And Pause Magazine, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Awesome. And do you have any personal Instagram or Twitter that you like to give out? You don't have uh, to if you don't Trenton want to. At Trenton Straub is basically everything. At Trenton Straub, S-T-R-A-U-B-E. That's me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Claire Connors. Please check out our Instagram at Under the Covers with Claire. And also listen to us on jasoncharles.net, podcast network, arts and culture shows. And on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we will see you next month, Under the Covers. You've been listening to Under the Covers with Claire Connors on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Claire Connors, a.k.a. Claire the Celebrity Booker, go to Claire the Celebrity Booker on Instagram.
JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.